Hi everybody, it's Edward Burt here. I'm here with Carol Hajo uh, for the Disability Trust podcast, Labelling the Disabling. Hello, Carol. Hi Ed, how are you? I'm very well. Now, usually you're in the driving seat, uh, but today we're going to take a little bit of a different approach because I think it's it's high time we heard from from you, Carol, and uh, get to know you a bit, little bit better because I, I got the... Uh, inaugural episode <laughs> you did <laughs> so uh which was great um so but but uh really keen to hear a bit more about you carol and your own uh journey your lived experience of disability um and i've really enjoyed uh, working with you on this podcast getting to know you a little bit better uh some of the um the ways uh, you're introduced in your bios and things like that uh, are really interesting to me um most most clearly, it is that you're legally blind. Is one of the um, one of the ways that you describe yourself. Can you tell us what what that means to be legally blind? Yeah, legally blind is, I guess, a government term that is used um, depending on what um, your eyesight is. So the term escapes me right now as to um, what they look for. But um, when I was about 18, an uh, ophthalmologist deemed that I was legally blind as a result of having a condition called Stargardt's disease. Now, I say when I was 18, they knew that I had this condition from about the age of nine, um, but nobody had stated that it was legally blind was what right. I had. So um, it's your visual acuity is what they look at, and it's under a certain percentage. Yeah, used to be what we referred to as you know, if you had good vision, you had 2020 um, mm-hmm. vision, which is quite funny in 2020 today. Mm, here we are, 2020. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. our world will gain 2020 vision in It'll 2020 be... and change a few things. I hope but, we do. Yeah. Um, so, I started losing my sight when I was about seven or eight. Okay. People with kids would know that when you've got kids uh, in about year three, they're at school, some of them start to develop mm. some learning uh, difficulties or mm. um, express some behaviours that aren't considered appropriate yeah. and that's what started happening with me. So they tested my eyes, my hearing. And was that um, your parents that picked up on that or no, the, the school? No, yeah. the teachers mm. and my parents said, you know, things were getting a little bit disruptive in class yeah, and right. <clears throat> I wasn't able to focus and I wasn't seeing what was on the board and I wasn't hearing. Mm-hmm. So a lot of tests occurred, hearing. I remember going to a lot of government buildings in Parramatta and institutions where they yep. tested all these things back in, would have been about 1976 or 77. Okay. And you were what, did you say? You were eight years old? Or? I was eight. So yep. 70, 77, 78, 79, mm-hmm. it all sort of kicked mm-hmm. off because um, I'm 40. Yeah, I was born in 71. Was that scary for you to go through uh, that? No, not, thing, really. not really. I sort no. of... Um, School wasn't a great place. I didn't feel mm-hmm. comfortable there. So being taken out to go to all these appointments was quite okay. exciting and interesting. Going out with mum for <laughs> yeah, the day? Yeah, mum or dad. Yeah. Um, it was it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they found out finally after doing a lot of tests, um, finally I saw someone at the Sydney Eye Hospital and they uh, did some lots and lots of tests on my eyes mm. and found out that I had this thing called Stargardt's, which is – a genetic condition which is different to a hereditary condition so when people ask you is it hereditary or yep. is you know is it genetic they're mm. two sort of different things it's a genetic condition which means that i have a gene which doesn't protect uh, the eye from sunlight and we all 
mm-hmm. get some light, Exposure. any sort of light yeah. every day. Mm-hmm. And what happens is your retina produces a waste product. This is how I've had it explained to me. That waste product is like vitamin A and you've got genes that uh, remove that waste product from mm. your body. I don't have that gene that so, does that. Right. So it collects on the retina and it forms scar tissue. Mm. Um, and so it looks like little scars, like you would have keloid scars on mm. your skin, but on the retina. And the retina is not actually an organ like a kidney or a liver or a lung. It's not mm. tangible. It's a nerve. Mm. Uh, and so, as you know, when people have nerve damage, they never regain that mm. feeling okay. or sensation. And that's what stops me from seeing. So I have no central vision, which means I can't see the colour of people's eyes, whether they have beards, whether they mm. have... Um, you know, eyelashes or eyebrows, detail like that in somebody's mm. face, whether they're smiling, whether they're um, angry. I can't mm. see any of that on people's faces. Mm. And so I have no detail. So yeah. I have yeah. peripheral vision, which means I don't normally trip over things. Yeah. yeah. Um, so people sometimes find it difficult to understand what can you see. Yeah. Um, and, and so how, how long how, before you, you lost that vision gradually yeah. um, from, from eight, you had quite reasonably... Um, yeah, normal vision. vision. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I would say normal vision. It's, it's hard to remember what happens back then. Some mm. people say they can remember things from when they were one. I yeah, certainly can't. Yeah. For me, memory sort of started around the five, six, seven mark. Mm. Um, but I can remember going in the car with my brother, who's 18 months younger than I am, and we would play games with the license plate numbers. Yeah. So we would yeah. make up words, and I can remember being able to see them at about seven or eight. Okay. And mm. then it starts, this condition starts to deteriorate depending on the kind that you have. And there's mm. three different kinds. And usually between the ages of seven or eight and the end of puberty, mm. it might stop. Mm. Uh, for some people, it continues. And I've got, of course, the worst kind, right. uh, which will continue to deteriorate until I have no vision left at all. Right. Um, yeah. And that could take a significant amount of time. Mm. Um, it could go quicker, it could go yeah. slower. They really don't have much information about it there's lots of trials going on with different things and stem cells but because i have some vision it's been suggested that i don't try any of the trials because Mm. i've got something to lose it's Mm. best for people that have very little vision because they have nothing to lose really i can still see color Mm. um so when you were young one of the other things that i noticed about you in your bio is your you know your non-English speaking background yep. coming from Uruguay yep. uh, when you were very young yep. but so obviously your family is their first language would, would have been Spanish. Spanish yep yeah so at home that was spoken so there was that um, you know I'm, I'm interested in that yeah sure um, difference as as a young person growing up and the, the cultural differences did that put you at any sort of Disadvantage, do you think, or advantage even, or what was that like? Well, I guess up? it's yeah. Mm. I guess it's both advantage a, and disadvantage. Yeah. I mean, I'm nearly fifty now, and I still mm. speak Spanish fluently. I yep. can read and write it if it's big enough. Obviously, the print. Yep. Um, I understand a whole other language and speak it fluently, as I said. Mm. So that has been an advantage because mm. I, you know, a second language is always an advantage to everyone. In terms of so we came to Australia when I was two years old and we settled in the Villawood Migrant Hostel, which is across the road from the Villawood Detention Centre. Okay. Um, yeah. And back then in 1973, there was a lot of work. So the men would just go and stand out the front every day and buses from all the companies, Camalco, Alcan, all the factories in Western Sydney would come around and pick up all the migrant workers and take them out Wow. for the day. Yeah. Um, and we lived in the hostel and... You got English lessons if you were old enough, I guess. I didn't. I stayed with my mum. I was two, and my brother was seven months old. Mm. Um, but then, when I started school, I was five, and I didn't speak any English. So that was a disadvantage. Mm. Um, 
because, well, one, one of the teachers said to my mum, please don't speak to her in English at home because she'll pick up your accent. Only speak to her in Spanish because accents were oh, and for many on. are still considered a bad thing. That's fascinating. So I, I thought you made a mistake there and you were, your mother was told not to talk, speak Spanish at home. No. But, but no, no, she was told not to speak English. She was. Okay. She was told by this particular teacher and um, please do not sp- – I believe her name was Mrs Andrews actually or because sis- of the Sister accent. Andrews. Um, <laughs> please don't speak okay. Sp- uh, English to yeah, your right. daughter at home. Yeah. Only speak to her in Spanish. I'll teach her English at school so yeah. that she wouldn't develop – I wouldn't develop an accent, okay, um, like a Spanish-speaking accent in English, and mostly I don't. I sound as Australian as you do another Australian, Aussie. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess you sort of do that a lot to fit in as well, because yeah. you don't want to be yeah. the wog kid all the time. Mm. And you mm. do, you did get a lot of taunts like that about right. it. Yeah. I mean, if you see me and people can't see me on the podcast, I look um, what people would consider to be. Um, Australian, which is that white Celtic Anglo, blonde hair, blue eyes. Mm. Um, I look like that, but you I'm look not fabulous. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, it yeah. was. But then, like I was saying earlier, you don't you don't have all of those things that people from. I didn't ever watch play school. I didn't know oh. what that was. I didn't have all of that Anglo Celtic background, like playing who stole the cookie from the cookie jar. Simon says mm-hmm. all that stuff that people. You're sitting in a classroom trying to work out what this game is and what's mm. going on, and then on top of it, I start to develop vision loss. That's yeah. So I'm yeah. really lost and confused at school. You're really behind the eight ball, aren't you? Because yeah. you've already got that sort of cultural difference, yes. language difference, yes. Uh, and then along comes, you know, a visual impairment uh, developing as well, o- yes, over across that. And yeah. also too, there's also. Um, you know, economic disadvantage mm-hmm. because being migrants to Australia, mm-hmm. um, you are completely displaced. You leave mm. your home. We did not come with money. Yeah. Uh, we weren't um, homeless in Uruguay, um, but we weren't uh, well off. My dad comes from quite a well-off side of, of a family, yeah. but my mum doesn't, you know, mm. and so we weren't well off. So we come to Australia. My parents are working in factories. They're not earning much money. We're living in Western Sydney in a small unit. Mm. Um, they're doing everything they can to save money and, you know, have the great Australian dream of buying a home. So, you know, there's financial disadvantage. There's, um, you know, a language barrier. There's mm. cultural disadvantage. And now I start to develop... Um, a vision loss mm. Um, mm. and I guess that's where my my real passion for fairness um, yeah. and equity um, you know and fighting against this system um, mm. yeah I think it makes a lot of sense comes from and, and I notice you've you've won a number of awards in this sort of space as well I, I see you've you've uh, an Australia Day Achievement Award for workplace participation and yep. inclusion yep. that's that's pretty fantastic uh, recognition of the work that you're doing and that's within the public service or more broadly? Uh, Yeah, that was within the public service. So um, prior to the current role I'm in 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 policy, I was in a um, diversity access and inclusion role. So um, for 14 years I worked to increase access and inclusion uh, and equity for people with disability mainly, other diversity groups as well as we know them, um, people from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds, mm. um, LGBTIQ staff, uh, but most mostly disability, mm. uh, working to 
you know, put policies in place, strategies in place, um, change culture, which is mm. really important uh, to make sure that people with disability get a fair go, um, get a job, yeah. uh, get promotions, have career development is really important. Mm. Did you have mm. some good wins there? Did you feel? Oh, absolutely, feel, yeah. yes. It mm. was it was really rewarding personally. Yeah. Um, to work with people and to see success mm. um, because I don't just want success for myself. I want success for everybody. That's, mm. you know, my main aim. Yeah. Um, and it was also really rewarding, I guess, to see people shine and to see people get jobs and to see people keep jobs and to see people, you know, have career progression. Um, mm. Mm. We be- do hear about that um, mm. The benefits of employing people with disability in terms of the retention of people, you know, Mm. that they're often incredibly uh, loyal. Uh, I know that sounds like a bit of a cliche, but um, just, and I can imagine that's probably related to the fact of the difficulty that you have, you know, obtaining a a a, job. job. So so when when you do land something, you're like, yes, you know, I mean, is that, (laughs) that's a bit tragic. It's in a a way. Yeah, you're right. It is tragic. Yeah. Um, I don't see it more as loyalty um, as just, grateful. Okay. Uh, people with dis- oh. and that's a, and that's a sad thing. Do you right. know what I mean? Like I think um, you're right. loyalty is good, yeah. um, but people with disability feel so grateful. Yeah. Mm. Um, they're like a little puppy, you know. Mm. Oh, and that's why we stay. That's yeah. why we stay in jobs for a long time because. I finally made somebody see that I can do this job yeah. and that I can do it they've well and they've me. given me a go. Yeah. Um, sure, I'm loyal to them. Mm. Um, however, I'm more than lo- I'm more grateful than I am loyal. Yeah. Um, and I do talk a lot about yeah. being grateful to be given an opportunity and thankful and how lucky I am. Um, but like I've, I've mentioned in a lot of um, speeches that I've, I've done or presentations that I want to remove that. Mm. gratefulness and that yep. lucky language from disability yep. because yep. we need to turn that around don't we in terms of yeah like the employer's understanding you know and, and i don't want to just talk about because i think we do rely on that sort of oh well you you know the retention statistics are better and all of that sort of stuff but actually you know they're just missing out generally speaking from a broader pool of people um isn't Correct. that fundamentally the 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 thing that they're missing out on, do you know, like the the diverse diversity of workforce uh, is is reflected in diversity of ideas, innovation, um, absolutely, you know, all of those things. So I think that needs to be the focus rather than probably the in, loyalty, yeah, that that side of things. But I don't know, you've worked in that space. <laughs> uh, I think I think people are, with disability are scared, yeah. but I I think you're right. Everything you've mm. said there is right about the diversity of ideas, the yeah. innovation. And what you'll find is that I had to navigate my way through a school, um, you know, primary, secondary, tertiary education in a system that wasn't accessible or inclusive in any way. Um, and that has actually made me more resist, um, resilient, mm. more innovative, more creative, because I've had to look for ways to make this work. And that's what you're going to find for most people with disability. If you use a wheelchair um, or mobility aids, or if you've used hearing aids, um or, you know, whatever it might be that your disability is, Mm. you will have found ways to deal with situations that others aren't able to deal with. And so not only are you getting that 
diversity of ideas, but you're getting an increased level of innovation and creativity adaptation. and resistance yeah. and mm. adaptation and mm. evolution from mm. somebody with disability, mm. um, yeah. let alone all the other things like retention and yeah. and yeah. being grateful and doing everything your boss yeah. says because yeah. you're so grateful to have a job. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to – I also saw you had some interesting descriptions for yourself yeah. in terms of non-binary and – non-binary sorry yeah and pansexual as yeah. well as marxist and feminist i mean yeah. th- these are four <laughs> fantastic terms massive can yeah you, can you can you just give us some idea about those things and, sure. and yeah okay so you know people say we don't want to stick labels on people and mm. and and that i think comes from we don't want to label people we mm. are here labeling the disabling mm-hmm. though we're calling out what's disabling people yeah. But people don't want to have labels stamped on them. Oh, we're not going to employ them because they've got disability or we don't, you know, we don't like her because she's a woman or whatever it might be. But these labels, to me, have really created a sense of um, being able to be who I am. So when we Mm. talk about non-binary, I see these constructs of male and female as something of a social construct. Mm. Um, Sure, we're born with certain genitalia depending on whether you're a male or a female Mm. but everything else around it what we wear what makeup how we wear our hair what shoes we wear um to me that's all constructed i come from a real background of uh, nurture and not nature Mm. and so when nurtured into being a boy or a girl from day zero even before that Mm. in the womb you know we talk about is it a boy or a girl who cares yeah really you know we're not going to what do you make of these, um, you know, gender reveal parties? Oh, have you heard of these? I have. You know? I've heard about it's these crazy like, cakes yeah, that people yeah. slice open. Explosions. And, and, you know. I think that's just another symptom of capitalism and how we've right. gone so ridiculously overboard with yeah. all of this baby st- because we want to sell stuff. You know, yeah. we want to sell a cake or we want to sell balloons and mm. – and, and then what happens is we do treat boys and girls differently when they're born because of mm. all of this, because it's a boy or a girl. Mm. Um, and so that's why I say I'm non-binary. I don't identify – I'm only a woman because of the genitalia I have <laughs> and I present as a woman sometimes because I wear lipstick and I have yeah. curled hair and I wear high heels sometimes. Yeah. But that is only an external thing. My yeah. brain is neither male nor female. Right. It is just a brain. Now, you've raised four boys. Oh, three. Three. Three, three yeah. boys. Is that right? So yeah. Um, so, you know, tell us about parenting <laughs> both from that perspective of, you know, this non-binary perspective, which I find fascinating. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the boys perception of that perhaps as they've grown and, and yeah. also their perhaps their perception of you their mum uh, as a legally blind mum or whatever yeah. you know a person with a mum with a visual impairment they certainly take advantage of it in, <laughs> in, in circumstances go. of rolling their eyes or flipping the bird or right. <laughs> um, making facial um, <laughs> I can imagine. Um, yes. but I do catch them out a lot and some you know I you can tell when you know someone, I guess, that closely, you can tell if they're rolling their eyes or they're – it's just a, a connection, I guess. Mm. It's not a, not a spiritual or a parallel universe thing. It's just I know that they're being mm. sarcastic or maybe because of what I'm saying to them, mm. they're being sarcastic. Mm. Um, look, they've really grown up with all of these terms as part of their everyday vocabulary, non-binary, mm. pansexual, um, 
I am very open with them about everything. So yeah. there's no um, – I've never been embarrassed about having a conversation about sex or sexual identity or gender identity or uh, sexuality or sexual orientation with them ever. It's always, yeah. you know, age-appropriate, but it hasn't mm-hmm. been something that I'm embarrassed or scared about. It's just part of life. It's what, you know, people grow up to do, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, they they see all of this and they and they I guess they accept it or not just from me but because society has and that's what I'm saying about these new labels. When I was 11, I may not have known that I was pansexual and the term probably didn't even exist 35 years ago. You know, pansexual. But I remember watching an episode of I Dream of Jeannie and um, <laughs> thinking. I really am hot for Barbara and I'm also hot for Larry and I don't know why, you know. Um, <laughs> and it was, you know, that's that was how I felt, you know. Yeah. I just – and pa- what pansexual so means is right. that you don't fall in love – you don't care whether a person is um, – looks male, female mm. – um, is, tra- is transgender. So you, I may be married, I'm married to a man, um, but tomorrow he might say that he wants to be a woman. Uh, my pansexual, you know, being pansexual, mm. my sexuality would not preclude me from staying with him. Right. It's, yeah. no, it's got nothing to do with the physical appearance of the person. And I mm. hope this isn't inappropriate for the podcast, but I just say, look, when you're in love with somebody, I, I, I'm in love with his mind and his values mm. and his ethics and his politics and his spirituality, mm. everything. And so how we get off in the bedroom <laughs> is irrelevant to, yeah. to, to that whole yeah. thing, you know, to being with this person. Yeah. Um, and that's how I see it's it. It's interesting, and, isn't it? Yeah. Because for, I think for a lot of people that would be very challenging to think, well, my partner's now <clears throat> come mm. out as a, as a um, transgender man or transgender woman um therefore i am a straight person or i'm a gay person or whatever i am that i identify with and then therefore even though i've known this person for the last maybe 25 years (laughs) married to them i can now no longer be with them yeah in in a way your your approach seems far more rational i Uh, guess it does it's, it's not that they're Unless they're coming out as, as, you know, some other issues as well. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I guess may, that yeah. because because that's what the sexual it's orientation the dishonesty, is. Isn't it? Perhaps. It's really difficult for me to understand that person mm. that you're mm. talking about that could no longer be with that person. But mm. that's because my sexuality, my sexual orientation is what it is. And now I don't believe. I don't know. I don't know if I was born with that sexual orientation. People believe that it is. You're born with it. Mm. Um, for me, I think it doesn't matter whether I'm born with it, whether I've chosen it that's irrelevant as long as we're both consenting adults I'm happy to stay with a person mm. who's transitioning other people may not and that's okay too mm. um, that's the whole thing about sexuality that you have to be open to that that somebody may not mm. I, I could <clears throat> never understand why another woman couldn't have uh, a sexual relationship with another woman or a man couldn't mm. have one with a man but that's because that's their orientation and they just that's yeah. couldn't do it couldn't you know it. yeah um but, okay. but anyway the, yeah no but that's 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 a really interesting insight into you as a person i think as well as the that that f- the feminist label is yeah. one that's um you know i think it's both for both men and women is complex it and, is and um but you know uh, i think uh, you've got brothers or a brother yep. um and you're both sort of similar age, I understand. Yeah. Um, but you, you, you know, what's it been like being a slightly older sister of a, of a, uh, you know, 
tell tell me about your feminist um, experience yeah. as a pansexual woman, <laughs> uh, you know, professional, yep. career-minded person in the in the public service. Yep. Um, I, I just curious about that term and how 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 it fits in yep. with everything else. Well, for starters, being a feminist is really difficult to fit in in terms of being. Um, a child of a South American couple mm-hmm. um, who have very – my dad in particular, very – also he's nearly 80. Right. Um, so, you know, you have to consider his generation, his mm. cultural background, um, Latino. And, and this is – I hate using it in these broad statements and terms because it's racist as well. Not all Latino men um, think the way my 80-year-old Latino father thinks. Um, But from a very young age, there were very distinct um, domestic roles for my brother and I. Um, My brother, I was always told you need to help your mum because one day you're going to get married and you're going to have a husband and you're going to have to do things for him. And... That's your role as a woman because I used to, even at a very young age, 10 or 11, start to arc up and say, what about my brother? Why doesn't Mm. he have to do it? Oh, well, he'll have a wife and she'll take care of all of that for him. Mm. Um, So from a very young age, I was in extreme conflict with my father. Now we have a perfectly loving um, relationship. Sure. He's a, a great person with great values. We disagree on a lot of things and I argue with him and I tell him off about it and I try and change his mind. Um... So it's not like we're estranged or anything. Mm. It's however he thinks in a totally different generation and cultural mindset to me. Mm. Um, And so growing up, it was very difficult to reconcile that with my brother. And it just so happens that my brother's married um, a, a company secretary She's a professional working woman. She's got very um, feminist views herself. She does not do all of his cooking, washing, cleaning, ironing or child raising. Um, He does at least his 50% share Mm. of all of that. Mm. Um, And and my husband is exactly the same. Mm. He does half or if not more of everything. Mm. Um, So it was, you know, it's strange to see that. So but you've been able to sort of cut those. Um, definitely. You know, like this, I heard a presentation recently of a, you know, a woman who grew up in Africa and passing the baton of, you know, like basically um, women as second class people um, who were, you know, those expectations, as you said, to get married, you know, they'd be basically traded off. Um, yeah. But uh, I think, you know, it sounds to me, Carol, like you've you've broken that, Yep. Tradition, definitely. Uh, well I and definitely truly. have, and I think can <laughs> can we do that with with disability? You know, like we've got a lot of sort of things that we passed mm. along in our culture, in our society, around expectations and beliefs. Second class citizens, you know, and, and and I think and it's up to you know people with disability themselves as well as the rest of the population to be active in in breaking that uh, tradition. Because it is a tradition. It uh, is. It's, it's setting expectations, you know, here when they should be, the expectations should be where they sit for others in the population. For everybody. Um, yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. I Look, I've been in the dis, working in the disability space for about 15 years now and ever since I started, um, and there's been people working in it for a lot longer than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the concepts that you're talking about there about breaking these traditions and these mindsets and these um, perceptions and the inequality that exists still mm. for people with disability have been talked about 
since people with disability, you know, were born. Mm. Um, and I keep hearing these things about little steps and we're getting there and we're getting better, but I don't think it's quick enough. Yeah. You know, and I guess I'm not a very patient person. I've always um, want to live things fast. I'm a sprinter. I'm not a, a long mm. distance runner. And I guess life is a sprint. It's very short. It's very yeah. quick. And we want to see things change a lot quicker. Yeah. I do think that there's been a lot more talk about it. And I do think with things like social media that, you know, people bag out a lot and there's, of course, there's concerns with it, like there is with everything else. Um, I think having people having that voice to talk about, you know, people with disability, you know, Carly Finley, I follow, follow her a lot, or Dylan Alcott or, mm -hmm. um, you know, when talking about feminism, Clementine Ford. Yeah. These people have got a voice and they're putting it out there and like-minded people can agree with it and can, you know, have a conversation with it. Mm. I do think that is going to really help change the game, you know, yeah. and make it happen a lot quicker. You know, we talk about um, strategic plans. We used to write them for five or three years. We're now talking about writing them for one year because mm. so much changes oh, so quickly. Um, mm. You know, I can't – I don't want to be an old person who says – things I don't want things to keep changing I want to go back to the good old days because I can assure you that for people with disability for women for people from diverse cultural and linguistic backgrounds for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians there were no good old days there are no good old days these are the days that we have to change mm. things now and and so I I disagree with that you know cultural um, misinformed nostalgia about wanting to go back to the good old days because as a woman with disability from a culturally and linguistically diverse background, I, I can't think of any better day than today and mm. the days to come mm. for that bar to be changed from down low to where it needs to be. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you, Carol. I think that's probably a good place to... To yeah. wrap it up. Thanks, but, Ed, and thanks um, to our listeners for listening to me. It was all about me today. <laughs> yeah, it was good. What, yeah. a, what a what a powerful um, uh, way to way to put it. I think we do today is we can't go back. We have to go forward. Yep. Um, people are living their lives today. Yes. Uh, we need improvements uh, today. We don't, <laughs> not something to plan for in three years. We 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 need to tackle these things uh, with some urgency. Uh, and and sprint not, but it is a marathon as well. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it think, is for you know. Um, depending on how long you yeah. think our planet's going to survive, but um. <laughs> well, I think these things are connected. You know, we have to be. Um, we take care of one another. We take care of the planet. We, you know, all of those things are are, yeah. are very important. Um, and we have to do that more sustainably. And 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 often you do find the most cost effective. Um, solutions are the most sustainable. Absolutely. Um, you know. So thank you, Carol. No worries. And thank you I'll so much. I look forward to meeting our next guest very soon. Thanks, yeah, everybody. Yeah, well, I do too. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>